Hello and welcome to episode 265 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson and in Vancouver, British Columbia, Jackson Chemis. How you guys doing? Great. Doing great, yeah. Jackson uh, is with us today to talk about a new feature we've added to the LSAT Demon website. Um, it's a scholarship calculator. We'll get to that in just a second. We also have today a pearls versus turds for you. We have an email about a uh, listener, a student who's questioning their own intuition on the LSAT. We have a question about whether you should write an addendum for a big jump in LSAT scores. Probably not, or a very short addendum. Um, we have a question about whether to wait or to apply now. And then we have a personal statement from Victor. Victor was a student of mine uh, in San Francisco in the before times um, <laughs> and uh, has been waiting patiently for us to review his personal statement. So um, brace yourself, Victor, for that. This show will air on Monday, September 28th. That means you have uh, a few days if you're uh, signed up and registered for the um, October LSAT Flex. That starts October 3rd. We also have the November LSAT Flex starting on November 7th, and it's too late already to sign up for that test because for some damn reason you have to sign up for the LSAT seven weeks before the actual test. You can email the show anytime. Please do email the show. Um, that's how we make our show agendas help at thinking Uh, if you want to be included on our website, social media stuff, you can send us a selfie when you do that, but, uh, please just send in your question or your pearls versus turd submission or, or whatever. Again, that's help at thinking if you're so inclined, um, leave us a review on iTunes. It's the only way that people ever find us. We don't advertise the show at all. So um, hit the five stars and write a few words about the show on iTunes. We, we, we really do appreciate that. I think we're ready to dive in. Uh, Jackson, can you just tell us a little bit about how you ended up with us. You're a big part of the Demon team these days, so um, why don't you just explain uh, your role with us? Well, I was I was a student of both of you guys kind of through private tutoring, and then I, you know, applied with Ben and, and got linked on and then just kind of started tutoring more and more and, and becoming more involved in the team. And now, um, now I'm in charge of the ask button requests for questions that people have for explanations. I don't write all of them. You know, we have lots of writers, but I, I kind of triage them and do write uh, some of them. I'm curious, Jackson, how many writers do we have right now? Well, with the, we just hired a bunch of people. So with the new additions, I'd say eight active writers. Okay. And then I also do the classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday of time section reviews. Right. So we go, we do a section and then we do a review right after I do extra help on Fridays, kind of like office hours and, uh, Saturdays I do the test review and, and Sundays I do a class with, uh, with Katie now. What's the team teaching like? I've been hearing good things about the Sunday class. Sunday classes have been going really well. Yeah. I really enjoy like teaching the Sunday class. I feel like 
Katie has been killing it. Katie is a new tutor who's going to Yale Law School, who is like just fantastic. Like she knows her shit. So I love working with her. I think the the students are really engaged on Sundays. It's a it's a great class. That's awesome. So the reason we had you on the show today, Jackson, is that we wanted to tell all our listeners about this scholarship calculator that you just created. Want to tell anybody or tell the listeners how that works and what your role was in creating it? The scholarship calculator, I mean, I try to make it as simple as possible. Basically what it is, is I went through all the 509 data so that students don't have to, or so that applicants don't have to, because going through all the 509 data um, is it's a slog. Like there's a lot of data. You have to kind of figure out, okay, where would I place here? Basically how the calculator works is it takes the data from all the schools. You put in your own GPA into a text field and your LSAT into a text field. And then it kind of computes, it estimates what your scholarship should be at each of the schools. And then tells you, you you know, you can rank them based on what schools you'll get full ride, what schools you'll get half ride, those kinds of things. Yeah, we've we've talked about this a lot for people on the show, but I still think there's a lot of confusion around, okay, (laughs) I see there are some scholarship numbers on here, but how does that translate to my LSAT GPA? And it's not obvious, right, which is why it is a slog. It's not like a simple oh, well, here are your numbers, so this is the kind of money you're going to get. You've had to think about what it means for each school, and there's some data that we just also don't even have access to, right? So we're trying to estimate based on the numbers we see on the 509 so that people don't have to. Yeah, and it it is an estimate. You know, for each school, basically what I had to do was I had to kind of come up with some sort of calculation based on their index, which they also released based on their LSAT and GPA and kind of figure out based on your LSAT and GPA for each school, how would they weight these two things? And then with that in consideration, where would you rank in their kind of scholarship consideration? So, you know, for the most part, I think it's, it's pretty good. Like the lower end up to the higher end stuff is pretty good where it gets a bit more estimate is if you're in that like 95th percentile and it's like at this point we don't we we don't know what they're we don't know if their 95th percentile at you know a mid-ranked school is a 166 or a 175. Yeah. Right. We just don't know if like there's that big of a jump once you get to the 95th. Yeah, yeah. Because the only numbers we know is the 75th and the 25th and the the 50th, obviously. Right. Yeah. Hey, so w- one thing is okay. So just in case cu- users are curious, you can find this at lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Again, that's lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Would you be willing to walk us through a couple examples, like hypothetical students, so that you can kind of say what they would find? Yeah. The one that I always plug in, just because I feel like it's relatively average, would be something like if you had a 3.5 and a 160, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So if you have a 3.5 and a 160, you put that in, you hit enter. I'm doing it right now, Jackson. <laughs> so am I. I did it already. Oh, <laughs> the best full me. ride I can get is Penn State Carlisle. 
And then the schools, so, you know, straight through to the 15th ranked school, you're not getting anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The first school where you might get something is University of Texas, Austin, right? So you'll get, you, you know, what this is telling you is that you can expect some tuition between zero and half tuition from University of Texas, Austin. And what I think is if you see something like this and it, it goes down right, right through and, you know, you eventually do hit, yeah, Penn State, Carlisle, you get a full tuition. What I think this tells you is that if this school is giving you anything less, right, like you should be telling them you are worth more to them than they're treating you, mm-hmm. um, at least to a degree. I mean, this obviously doesn't can take into consideration soft factors or like other factors beyond numbers, but on average, at a school like University of Texas Austin, they should be giving you some money. There's a big uh, blue feedback button at the top of the page, and we do really want, you know, it also says beta on it. So this is by no means perfect. We're doing the best we can to estimate. In fact, maybe that's what we need to name this is like scholarship estimator or something. But please hit the feedback button if you see something that seems strange or if you can think of ways that we can improve the tool. Um I think that this could be really useful just to give people an idea, right? So like if you're the 3.5160, I mean, I, I would be scrolling down looking for green, basically, right? Yeah, well, the feature I like is hitting the actual cost column. Because, you know, we talk about scholarships versus actual costs. Mm-hmm. You can sort by scholarships and figure out which schools are going to give you the most money, but that's not necessarily the best bargain. I just sorted by actual cost, and it puts pen. University of Nevada, Las Vegas, Rutgers, and Appalachian School of Law right at the top, and they're all green. So, yeah. anyways. Awesome. Um, Anything else we want to say about the scholarship calculator? I mean, people just need to get in there and play around with it, right? That's that's the best thing we can can do. All right. Well, that was fast. Uh, (laughs) Jackson, you going to hang out for a while, or or do you have to run? Yeah, I'll hang out for... A half hour. I've got something at 10 that I have to go do. So Okay, cool. Just tell us bye when you're ready to go yeah. and you can just drop out. <laughs> we'll continue chatting. I did have a question just for Jackson before we jump into sure. these things. Um, so a lot of times when people like start teaching the LSAT and especially writing explanations, right? Because writing an explanation really forces you to reckon with what your reason is for why something is right or wrong. I was wondering if you had had any ahas or takeaways since taking over that job? Um, that's a good question. I, uh, I can't think of any particular ahas, but I know I've had them. And I know that since I've started doing it, I've gotten way better at the LSAT. Like, even, like I underestimated how helpful learning how helpful it is to learning if you can teach something it's like you know even you know myself i scored well on the lsat i come and teach the lsat and i learn lots about it and get Mm -hmm. way better at it Mm -hmm. you know tutoring it um but yeah i can't think of any specific aha moments okay just curious yeah yeah 
Ben, you want to uh, read this pearls versus turds candidate? Yeah, for sure. So pearls versus turds is where we take some received wisdom from the stratosphere, the universe, the <laughs> internet. Okay. <laughs> and uh, well, that's where it usually feels like it's coming from, right? It just feels like it comes from the ether. And then we decide whether it's good advice or bad advice. Most advice out there is bad, unsurprisingly. This one is from Dean Sarah Zierfoss, uh, Dean of Admissions at the University of Michigan. She apparently shared this on our recent YouTube video. It sounded exactly like what the guys always say. Thought I'd send it to you in case you're looking for podcast content. Okay. Sarah, Dean Sarah says, regarding addressing difficult topics in personal statements and addenda, it could be just a matter of lawyerly training or lawyerly temperament, but lawyers tend to like the matter-of-fact of approach. My dear husband is a lawyer, and he is an example of this. He rants at the weather forecasters when they say things like, a balmy 75 or a chilly 39. He's like, I know what 75 degrees is. Don't tell me it's balmy. That's kind of a common theme for many lawyers. My point is, it is absolutely fine and appropriate to talk about details, but I would maintain a certain level of distance. One trick that I sometimes use when I'm in this situation is I pretend that I'm representing myself, that I am my own client, like I bifurcate myself. Okay, you split yourself in half. That helps me get a bit of distance that I think makes me more successful in communicating than spilling all of my feelings would be. Okay, I, I, I think she's trying to get at the right goal, but her advice is kind of um, vague. So I'm not sure users would know what to do with this. It's a little wordy. I mean, it's like transcribed from a YouTube video. Yeah. So she's just talking. So I can't really blame her for, you know, um, being a, a bit wordy. Uh, the tip here is she, well, she could have said it better, <laughs> but basically just use the facts, but not the conclusions about the facts. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what she's pointing out here is specifically where, she, where her husband is editing the weather forecaster, Mm -hmm. what he's doing there is he's taking out the adjectives and the adverbs and the conclusions. And he's just, he wants them to just stick with the facts. I think that's a pretty good tip for personal statements. Yeah, I think it's, and addenda in particular, that's what I was thinking about most, I guess. But Mm. um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a good goal. I, I don't think her advice is super helpful. I think it could be confusing too. Like I'm representing myself. I could see people like getting all fiery and that's not what you want <laughs> well, people to do. Cause that, so many applicants don't actually know what lawyers do or like they, all they all they have is like, you know, the scene from a few good men in their head <laughs> and they just think that like they're supposed to be like this dramatic, whatever courtroom person. Um, so yeah, it, I can't quite endorse this as a pearl. I think it's like a tie maybe. Yeah. Give it a tie. Jackson, what do you think? 
Yeah, I you could break honestly, the tie, Jackson. You could break I, the tie. No, I'd give it a tie too. I I would almost give it a turd. Like I don't I didn't even understand what the hell she was talking about when when you read it. So <laughs> Okay, well that, we're just as happy to throw something in the turd pile. Um it stinks, I, you know, it the tip maybe the tip was right at the top. Lawyers tend to like the matter of fact approach. So if it's yeah, it started off good. She should just stop. If, it. if it's stick to the facts, don't make any conclusion. You don't even need the conclusions, right? If your facts are good enough, you don't need the conclusion. Yeah. You can just lay out the facts that make you look like a baller. Then you don't need to say I'm a baller. In fact, you shouldn't say I'm a baller because then nobody believes you. You just <laughs> you, instead you don't sound like a baller anymore. Yeah. Demonstrate your ballertude then you, you know, then people reach that conclusion on their own. And that's, that is better writing. So I think, I think her heart's in the right place. We can give her a tie. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Next email. Yeah. Okay. This says the title is prep confusion. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I just found your podcast and I'm working through the episodes from the beginning. So many good laughs. That being said, the answers to my questions are probably buried in shows I have yet to hear, so I apologize for any redundancy! Exclamation point. A couple weeks ago, I took the June 2007 test for a diagnostic and scored a 152 cold. Logic Games, 8 out of 23. Logical Reasoning, 18 and 20 out of 25. Reading, 17 out of 25. The Logic Games portion was devastatingly bad. I was most comfortable with logical reasoning. Most of the incorrect were unanswered at the end of the section. And similarly, I was comfortable with reading, but wasn't mindful of time and did not make it to the last passage in the section. Thereafter, I purchased an LSAT Max package via the company that will not be named. I chose this because the self-paced timeline was helpful with my unpredictable work schedule. They really sell this self-paced timeline. I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day about a self-paced timeline, and this was like a, a reason to purchase LSAT Max. I don't know. What is I'm it? I'm very what confused. What, I don't know. The schedules have been sold for so long, right? Like, oh, here's the schedule. It's like three months. And it's like well, you have a daily checklist of what you have to go through. I'm like, dear God, please. It's save the me. exact opposite of self paced. <laughs> it's not. It's predetermined. It's a predetermined one size fits all timeline. And, they, and people think they need it. Like, people think it's good for them because it's a self paced timeline. Listen, we're very happy to help you create your own actually self-paced timeline. I'll you come to class. I'll do that. I'll help you come to my office hours. Come to extra help with Jackson. Come to any of Jackson's timed sections. Come to Jackson and Katie's Sunday class. We're more than happy to help you build your own self-paced time. I don't <laughs> I just don't understand. Okay, anyway, sorry. Uh tangent. Um however, in the last couple of weeks, working on the modules, I don't feel like I'm making much progress and, if anything, find myself a bit confused. I'm beginning to be unsure about things I was previously certain of. Example, 
trying to apply all the strategies to something that was previously intuitive, and I'm now having doubts. Have you received similar feedback? Despite the large purchase, I'm wondering if I should pursue a different prep option. Tutoring would be ideal, but it is cost prohibitive for me. Or maybe I just need to give it more time? Additionally, do you have a typical score ceiling that you see for students with a diagnostic like mine? I want to do the best I can, but don't want to be unreasonable about potential improvement. Thank you, E. Well, I, I quickly want to dive into her last question, or him or her. I don't know who, who wrote this in, but right. um, I scored a 153 cold diagnostic, and I ended up with a 176, so I would consider <laughs> you in a great starting position. Also, um, most people start between 140 and 155, and so 152 is definitely on the high end. I mean, actually, 155 is pretty high starting, so I wouldn't even necessarily say that most people start there. But also, given the fact that you're scoring poorly in games, which is the easiest section to improve, you're in a great position to score as high as possible. I don't know where you're going to end up, but there's no reason to give you a ceiling. Yeah, cold 152, that's like fucking, that's Yahtzee, dude. That's like what we're looking for. We're, <laughs> we're hoping for, I mean, cold 152, especially batting games. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Yeah. 170 something. We see 20 point improvements all the time these days. Yeah. I, I mean, they're not, it's not even like remarkable to see somebody improve by 20 points these days. Yeah. I'll tell you what the ultimate self-paced schedule or timeline is. It's the demon drilling. It just decides for you. And you just drill. Thinking back on it, that's why the demon was created in the first place. It's like, I can't, I would try to give out homework to people and I would have 40 questions and a third of them would be hard, a third of them would be easy, and a third of them would be in the middle. And for some people, two thirds of those questions were a waste of their time. For other people, two thirds were likewise a waste of their time because they were too hard, right? It's just like, all these predetermined things just don't work. Yeah. And if you want if you want help from a human, you can get help from a human with the demon live. Um, you don't need private tutoring. With a 152, you don't need private tutoring. You I mean <laughs> cost tutoring is cost prohibitive. Tutoring is very expensive. You have to pay a really smart person for their hours, like directly for their time. Well, we charge a lot for that. So sign up for a class and sign up for our class because our shit's the best. <laughs> sign up for Demon Live. It's $2.95 a month. We have multiple events seven days a week on Zoom. And you can come ask me questions. You can ask Jackson questions. You can ask all of our whole team questions. We are all professional LSAT tutors and we can help you a lot and it will be only $295 a month instead of, you know, hundreds of dollars per hour with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Starting with a 152, you're an amazing candidate and we can help you a ton. So I, I don't want this whole thing to sound like a commercial, but it, <laughs> it sounds like LSAT Max is doing you a disservice. I Like, let's directly talk about this Trying to questioning apply. things. Yeah. Well, the, the, the questioning things that, that used to be intuitive, trying to apply all the strategies to things that were previously intuitive. 
God damn it. I've heard that a thousand times in, in my LSAT teaching career. <laughs> it's, been, it's because of the theory first approach to teaching instead of the practice practical approach to teaching the way we do it. We give you an LSAT question and if you get it right, we move on to the next one. If you get it wrong, well then, okay, now we're going to talk about it, but we're not going to weigh you down with a bunch of unnecessary theories and strategies and modules and shit. People fall prey to this because they think that 152 is a bad starting score. It's not. It's an awesome starting score. With the 152, you intuitively understand two-thirds of the test. That's awesome. (laughs) You know why you understand it? Because it fucking makes sense. The test makes sense. If you read carefully, the test makes sense. Our whole philosophy of teaching the LSAT is it makes sense. Oh, you missed this one? Okay, no problem. We'll talk about it. We'll, We'll talk through it. And if you need some theory to help you understand it, we'll give you that. But, um, be careful with what books and what classes and shit you use, because I've seen a lot of people stagnate with, at a pretty good starting score. And then they just never improve because they lose all of that intuitive common sense understanding of the test. They replace that with a bunch of stupid theories and tips and strategies that aren't even helpful. Yeah, I'm curious, Jackson, what happened when you started studying? Did you just stumble upon the podcast or did you start with some other course or book or what? When I started studying, I think the day I started studying, Khan came out. And so the Mm. first thing I went to was the Khan Academy LSAT. Mm -hmm. And um, I spent about a week on that and decided it it was horrible. Like I didn't... it had was completely limited in what resources you could have. And like the explanations I didn't, I didn't like, I knew they were wrong. Like I just didn't like most of them. And then, yeah, I just kind of stumbled across the the podcast, started listening to the podcast. Um, when I started studying the demon wasn't out yet. Mm. So I just bought all the books. Um, Cause my test was still pen and paper. Actually yeah. I took the July test that was half pen and paper half digital. Oh, July, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so I just bought all the books, bought Nathan's books, listened to the podcasts, did private tutoring. And then the, uh, the demon came out just near the end of my studying. Hmm. Cause I studied for, for quite a span kind of on and off. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to hear how people, uh, just, their LSAT journey, what they encounter first. I mean, Kaplan's another big player out there. Um, but it sounds like you went from con and then you just started searching like podcasts or something or. Yeah. I, well, I was working at the time, uh, a day job. And so during my day job, I was like, well, I, I kind of want to be studying this material mm-hmm. just the way I am. So I would just put on, I looked up LSAT in podcasts, found the podcast and just started going through them, put them on during work and just listen to them. <laughs> I'm glad you avoided the, uh, con trap. Well, yeah, I, I remember using con for math in college. Right. I took a right. math course and it was really good. 
Like I understood it completely. As soon as I read the LSAT stuff, I was like, this is bullshit. They don't know what they're talking about. The thing is they're not even getting it from con. I don't think anyone at con wrote them. I think they got them from LSAC, which for some reason can't explain its own test. I'm not sure that's right, Ben. Um, I think it's a, it's a, the person who wrote the LSAT stuff is a tutor for lots of other tests via con. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. So the problem isn't, (laughs) the problem isn't that it's not con. The problem is that it is con, not Mr. Con, but. Oh, I thought they were using the explanations from like super prep and stuff, which I don't think. Well, maybe that's in there too, but I just recently was talking to a student who actually was getting one-on-one tutored by the person who wrote the con shit for LSAT. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, and they advertise. <laughs> right. They, I was the one that wrote the shit for con. <laughs> right. But the, but they specifically were not an LSAT expert. They were, they are a smart person who is, who scored high on all of the different tests. And I'm sorry, but you take one look at that con shit and it's just not right. It, it it's overly theoretical mm-hmm. and the theory is wrong. Jeez. Mm, <laughs> right? I mean, they start going off about principal questions. That's technically incorrect. That's just yeah. not the, the that's not so there is no such thing. It's yeah. not it is not a useful concept. There the word principle it doesn't mean anything on the LSAT. You can actually line it out and it means nothing. Yeah. You can actually remove it from most questions and it doesn't change the meaning whatsoever. Yeah. But then they're going off theoretically about, oh, well, when you see a principal question, here's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's heavy handed, boring theory that is actually incorrect. Yeah. So (laughs) they're not doing anybody any favors with that free prep. I'm glad they gave away some tests. Hmm. Doing the tests is useful you do not want to be reading those con explanations. They're, they're not helpful. Um, next email. Yeah. Thanks. E. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. E. Um, Hey, as E works their way through our podcast, eventually they'll come to the point where the demon gets event invented. <laughs> so <laughs> they can then <laughs> abort from LSAT max and start studying with the demon. Uh, trust me. It's, it's way better. Um, okay. Addenda for big LSAT jump. Ben, you want to take this email? Sure. Dear Ben and Nathan, as I get my documents in order for the upcoming admissions cycle, I'm stuck on whether or not to write an addenda about my LSAT scores. When I first took the test in 2018, I was a full-time student working 30 plus hours a week and ultimately scored a 161. However, I took the July LSAT flex and scored a 177 which I attribute to having a steady full-time job and the ability to set up a consistent study schedule. I'm sure it's common for people to improve on a retake, but some schools are asking for addenda if your scores have significant discrepancies. What would you do? I don't know that I would go down the excuse route. If they want an addenda explaining a significant discrepancy, just say, "Um, I knew I could do better, so I took it again. And... Leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time. How many emails did you get, Ben, this cycle, this last, when the August flex scores came out? 
How many emails did we get with people talking about 20-point improvements? I don't know how many we got, but it's so many more than we've ever gotten before. And <laughs> Like dozens? Like we had like three 180s, right? At least. Right. Uh, and right. that's not accounting the ones who didn't reach out. I'm like, holy smokes. I don't know what's going on. Right. So you can improve a ton on the LSAT. It's a fact. Yeah. And if your official score, you know, like you – you took it before you were fully ready, unfortunately, you know, and you have a 161 on record. And then you, you know, started studying with us probably and ended up with a 177. And yeah, I <laughs> really one sentence, two sentences. I, I knew I could do better. My, my practice test scores indicated that I could do better. So I took it again. Yep. They can ask you a follow-up if they want, but we've never heard of anybody like admissions committees that don't actually ask people, right? We all know that a lower initial <laughs> official score is just a practice test score that's been revealed on your record. Yeah. It's it's just like the idea that the 177 test takers didn't work to get there. I, I have a hypothesis, yeah. which my hypothesis was recently confirmed by another bit of data. But my hypothesis is that they're asking you this question because they're fishing to see if you're stupid enough to disclose that you were accommodated for the retake. Oh, very interesting. Okay. This was a hypothesis yeah. <laughs> that I've had for a long time. But let me read to you a question this is a question on um, – someone texted me this. So this is, this is from UW-Madison. This is from their real application. Question number 20. Note, the following question is optional in bold. Because <laughs> they don't want to get in trouble with the ADA. <laughs> No, this is like illegal yeah. for them to ask this question. The following question is optional, but the information helps the admissions committee have a fuller understanding of you as a candidate. Do you have a disability that you believe the admissions oh committee should take into account in evaluating your file? Question mark. Oh my goodness. They just went out and asked it. We encourage you to provide further information in your personal statement than bold this is purely voluntary and confidential. <laughs> if you are admitted, a separate process will be used to request and determine reasonable accommodations. And then it's a yes or no. Do you have a disability That's that you it. believe the admissions committee should take into account in evaluating your file? Oh my gosh. And so are many they even people, allowed to ask that as an optional not. question? That has got to be illegal. Has to <laughs> it be has illegal. to be illegal. Under the ADA, yeah. yeah. There's all sorts of shit under there that's going to prevent that, I would assume. We should have somebody on the show. But um, it's weird. It's a, reading they, it's a reading comp issue, right? It's an optional question. And that, that's, an, that's a question that you should not answer. Yeah, you but, do not answer that. Or you just put no and just move on. It says it's optional. But it's a radio button. And you know and how many people are going to think that's going to yes help? No. A lot of people are going to think that's going to help their application. They're like, oh, I have a disability, so I'm going to say – and even if you don't, you say yes so that they treat you with softer. And what's actually going to happen? Yeah. 
They're going to say what's actually going to happen, Ben. If you check yes on that, and you put in your personal statement that you have ADHD, it's going to go against you. Especially why? What are they going to think? That you got extra time on the LSAT, which means your score is bogus. Not bogus. Yes. I'm sorry. It's not bogus. But No, it is bogus. <laughs> they give too much extra time, Ben. It's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> when, people improve their score by like 10 points or 15 points instantly when they get accommodated. Instantly. And it's not fair. I mean, <laughs> I have a recent one-on-one tutoring student who didn't know about accommodations. I told him about accommodations. He gets double time now. And he immediately went from like, couldn't possibly crack 160 to regularly scores in the one seventies. Yeah. And it's because he's rich and had a fancy private tutor who told him that you could get accommodated and he got accommodated. If he checks yes on that question, because, you know, he's, he, he thinks that they're asking it with like an open heart or open, you know, like, oh, we want to know. We really want to accommodate. We want to help you, you know? <laughs> they immediately look at that and they go, oh, 170? Yeah, yeah. They like roll their eyes. Okay. Well, you were accommodated. So, of course, you scored super high. Yeah. It's, it's a broken system. The law schools know it's broken. And so now they're fishing to see if you'll – tip your hand basically don't don't tip your hand <laughs> if you have a reasonable case for accommodations you should get accommodated it's a crazy advantage you should do it if you can but then do not tell the schools that you were accommodated jackson you want to weigh in on this exciting issue i just think it's crazy uh that they would that they would ask that i mean yeah, I'm surprised alone, they are. They're a law school. I mean, they would know this law inside and out, I think. They'd have professors who have taught about the ADA. Maybe the disclaimer that it's an optional question is enough. Somehow makes it legal. But is but, it optional you know, if it's a radio button? I guess you just don't even select. <laughs> well, if it doesn't have a default answer. You can't unselect a radio button. Yeah, yeah that's probably that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not sure you're allowed to like, like I'm thinking about interview questions, exactly. right? If you're if in you, an interview and you ask someone if they're disabled, like that doesn't seem, but then you say, oh, it's optional. You don't have to answer. You can sit there and be quiet. It's a different legal issue, but like, you know, you're not allowed to ask women if they, ha- if they plan to have kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, does it make it magically better if you're like, now this is an optional question. Do you plan to have You kids? don't have to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> but do you plan to have kids? <laughs> and just like look at their reaction. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I'm surprised they're asking it. And you know, the about the accommodations thing, that Ninth Circuit case is what required LSAC to make the minimum accommodation time and a half, which blows my mind. Before I guess you could get 40 minutes or something, or I, I don't remember that, but it's it's wild that time and a half is the minimum. That's insane. No. Nope. That's the, no. that's the modern world. Before the case, I almost never heard of anyone getting accommodations. People would ask me right. in class. I remember this I remember this pregnant student speaking of pregnancy who was like 
I am pregnant, I have to go to the bathroom all the time or something, and I have this other problem, and do you think I'll get accommodations? And I remember talking to her in the hall, and I was like, have you ever had accommodations before? And she's like, no. And I'm like, no, you probably won't get it. Sorry. Good luck. And now it's completely flipped. It's a whole new world. See upside down. Yeah. Any doctor's note, your normal physician, and it doesn't have to be anything real. It doesn't have to be dyslexia. It could no, be back like pain. Yeah, I have back pain. I, I need. I need, it's, It really ha- gives me a hard. I have a hard time focusing because of my <laughs> ingrown hair that I have. And <laughs> I need. I need. I need. To, I need. To, I need reasonable accommodations, and they just immediately just stamp it. Boom! Time and a half. There you go. That's their minimum. And, and let's be clear. Hey, we're we're fairly progressive folks here. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that there shouldn't that the ADA shouldn't exist or that we shouldn't accommodate blind people with a Braille test and extra time. I, I'm, I'm fully willing to give reasonable accommodations, but time and a half is too much extra time for most people. And, and most people who take it, the test in normal time, it, most people don't finish. Most people shouldn't finish in 35 minutes, but in 53 minutes, Oh my God, it's, <laughs> Can you, well, think about how many people are like, if only I had five more minutes. Five more minutes would be a, like, there's so many students with, with five more minutes, they would get like two more questions per section. They'd finish like an entire extra game. Yeah. Yeah. Or finish a reading comprehension passage and get all those questions. Right. And they're not getting five extra minutes. They're getting 18 extra minutes with time and a half. Yeah. And with double time, they're getting 35 extra minutes. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's too much. It's not, it's not a reasonable accommodation. It does not level the playing field. It's too much extra time. Well, it's funny too, when we're fielding questions, especially from like double time students who are like asking how to deal with all the time. They're like, now their problem is like, well, I'm going to be there so long. How do I, how do I manage this? I'm like. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to feel sorry for somebody who's getting double time. I mean, like whatever. I, I'm not questioning that you have issues or or whatever it is that that got you that accommodation. I just I don't know. Do some meditation, take a nap, whatever. Because it is. I mean, it's so crazily crazily extra time. It's just. Um, I guess we should make a point here that if you are going to request accommodations, don't do the thing of. I want to make sure that I get time and a half. So I'm going to ask for double time because if you ask for double time, you're probably going to get double time and double time is uncomfortably long for a lot of people. I mean, it's just way too much time. So careful what you wish for and um, get your reasonable accommodations. If you're entitled to them, get them, but it's, it's, it's (laughs) hugely valuable. I mean, it's over the top valuable. It's 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 a fair proposition that it's worth a hundred thousand dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, if not more. My student that I was talking about earlier, you know, the rich kid who got private tutoring, and the the primary value he got out of the primary uh, out of the private tutoring was me telling him, "Wait, what? You had accommodations in college? You definitely get accommodated on the LSAT." But yeah, he, he went instantly, I'm telling you instantly, he went from like 157 to like 167 and that's worth a hundred grand. You can look at the scholarship calculator and you can figure out that that's worth a hundred grand. 
lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. Play with the numbers. You'll see. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right, Jackson, I thought you said you had an out. Are you out of here? Yeah, I got to get going. Thanks for reminding me. Awesome. Yeah, have a good one, guys. <laughs> Not trying to kick you out of here. Thanks, Jackson, for showing up. I'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Uh, ben, okay, I think it's my turn, huh? Yeah. To wait or to apply? Hi, Ben and Nathan. I have listened to your podcast for over a year now, and I know you typically advise people to wait a year if they do not feel their score and application are representative of their full potential. I have been studying two years, not not continuously, for the LSAT and have a score of 157 and a 3.8 GPA. I didn't make real LSAT improvement until I started using the demon. The last two falls... Around September or October, I backed out of applying with the thought that I could continue to study and get a higher score and apply September 1st of the following cycle. Since this has happened two times already, and now we are in September again, I am feeling like a broken record. I am usually the type of person who just has to work at things longer than others to get the same results. I'm totally okay with doing the work but also don't want to just keep pushing this out because I am also a perfectionist who needs to feel like I did all that I could possibly do to kill this test. I am in Wisconsin and I am applying to state schools in the Midwest. I am taking October flex to try to hit a 160. I have a lot of connections here and am part of the Wisconsin association for justice. Am I overthinking this and should just apply with what I have or am I being stupid and should get over myself and wait one more year? Thank you for your honesty and help. R. So R is going to have to deal with the illegal <laughs> Madison um, question about yeah. disabilities. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this makes me want to play with the scholarship calculator a little bit. Let me, let me type this in. Okay. 157 and a 3.8. Yeah. You can also search for schools. I'm going to put Wisconsin. Yep. Well, University of Wisconsin Law School, it says half to full tuition with yeah. a 3.8 and a 157. I mean, half to full. It's a pretty broad range. When I change the numbers to 3.8 and 167, it still says half to full. <sighs> If you really are looking at University of Wisconsin Law School, which is a pretty high-ranked school, I'm not sure it's going to matter. But I don't know. Ben, do you have any thoughts? Well, I I have this feeling that I could be wrong, but I have this feeling that – wait, who is this? That R is almost like – Looking at this like, oh, I, I'm, I'm gearing up for September 1st. I'm going to take the test in time for that, and then I'm going to apply. And if I don't make it, it feels like R is like backing off the studying or something. Like I would be shooting for October, trying to get the, the best score you can get. If you're not happy with a 160, and which you're – which you may or may not get in October, then push it back to November. It's like these things should be pushed back incrementally, not, oh, I'm not going to apply this cycle and take the gas off. I feel like, because, you know, 
R says earlier, not continuously. It kind of feels like R geared up and then was like, oh, it's not going to happen this year. Forget it. And then walked away almost from the test, at least more than I would like to see. Yeah. There's no way that R has been studying continuously in the demon and not improved. I mean, it's just, we don't, that doesn't happen. So <clears throat> that was my first hypothesis as well. It was just getting, getting so attached to September, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then not really preparing to get ready for the LSAT. And the next thing you know, it's September, October. It's weird how we get, I've just seen it a million times, right? We see people all the time who are like, well, is it, I really want to push now. So I, cause I really want to take the November test and then apply. And it's like, okay, you should have been, you should pretty much already be thinking about the next cycle, mm-hmm. but you should be working hard on your prep. Now take the LSAT as many times as necessary to get a score that reflects your actual ability. And then once that's in the bank, then you should think about applying people like weirdly attach the test and their application. Mm-hmm. There's no law that says you have to apply the day your score comes out. <laughs> I mean, ideally your score would be in the bank and then we apply in September. So we have no idea where our started, but you know, and I, so I can't, am I overthinking this? Should I just apply with what I have? I, it's the beginning of your legal career. I, I don't think you're overthinking it. I'm curious, you know, would a 157 or a 160 get you a full ride somewhere in Wisconsin that you'd be happy to go to? If not, then yeah, I would keep going. I think that's generally the standard. If you can't get in somewhere that you'd be okay with going to for full, for free, that's kind of an indication that you should keep going. Yeah. If, if our, I mean, our has connections in Wisconsin sounds like wants to stay in Wisconsin, applying to state schools, apply immediately with whatever you've got. I mean, they're taking the October flex, so hopefully they kill the October flex and, Mm-hmm. have a 160 something and they can apply but yeah you just got to be willing to walk away if you get shitty offers and at a state school in Wisconsin you should be going for free 3.8 man that's nice it is great yeah 3.8 and a 165 should be a full ride for sure yeah so if they're going to try to charge you you know like even if they what if they admit are on a 50% scholarship that's not good. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's not what we're looking for. Um, Wisconsin university of Wisconsin law school costs $44,000. So if they gave you a half scholarship, you're still going to have to pay them $22,000 a year. Yeah. That's more money. You don't have to pay that. You, other people are going to be going there for free. Yeah. And if you improve your LSAT by five more points, you'd probably go for free. So be, be prepared to turn down bad offers if you apply prematurely. If you apply with less than your best LSAT score, 
you're going to get less than the best scholarship you could get. Probably, most likely. Check out the 509 reports for the schools you're applying to. It's also possible that a 157 is already above their 75th percentile. And a 3.8 is almost certainly above their 75th percentile. There, I guess there can be overkill in certain circumstances, right? Like if you know for sure you just want to go to Madison or whatever, <laughs> you might already be overqualified. But we don't know. You have to look at the at the 509s. I mean, I can look. I can look it up real quick. Um, let's see. University of Wisconsin. <sighs> yeah. No, I mean, their 25th percentile is 156. So applying with a 157 is not going to – they're not going to back up the uh, Brinks truck for you yeah. scholarship-wise. Yeah. But their 75th percentile is only 164. So you move that 157 to a 165, which is fully possible. Your GPA is already above their 75th percentile. Man, they give 13% of their class more than full tuition. So are we looking at the University of Wisconsin, the same one that's in the scholarship calculator? Yes. So we need to look at like why that's not adjusting once you go above 165. Hey, it's in beta, Ben. Don't be too <laughs> critical of the personal of the <laughs> scholarship calculator. I'm just yeah, curious. no, I agree. I mean, yeah. yeah, and it doesn't seem to make any difference there. If we bump it from 157 to 167, it doesn't change it, but it seems like it should. So, yeah, um, yeah we'll we'll talk to Jackson. I'm sure he'll. Uh, he's, it's it's under development. So cool. Um, advice for R: probably get a 160 something. I mean, you you can. You just got to work at it. Stop focusing on the application cycle and start focusing on getting your best score as soon as you can. <clears throat> yeah. As soon as you can. And that may be November. That may be January. But once you have it, it's good for five years. So then you can turn your focus to when and how you will apply. Think about it in terms of your legal career, right? It's the first step of your legal career. But what if we thought about it just in terms of this is the first step in an important case? Like if if we make this a single case. Sure. Do you really want to rush in there and file something before you've got your shit together? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good way to just lose your case before it even starts. And so this person has the LSAT and the application cycle weirdly attached together. Yep. You should separate those two. Work on the LSAT until you have the score that accurately reflects your true potential. Then go down to the courthouse and file your application. You can't. You can't be. I mean, it's like it's almost like they're taking the LSAT on the way to submit their application. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like they're yeah, <laughs> like, they're stopping oh. by the evidence room and they're like, just grab as much as you can. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> they're writing their brief on the way to the courthouse, you know, and they're gonna just file it. Well, I'll 
I'll be either ready or I won't, you know, whatever. I'll just, I'll just get it as good as I can get it mm-hmm. and file it. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's, that's not what we want to be doing. We want to make sure that thing is perfect when we file it. So take another year, but <laughs> you're, it's, you're not, you don't, there's no reason to rush. Yep. You know, you want to, I think that this is a well-meaning, um, you know, I have no idea what the, uh, Wisconsin association for justice is, but I have a feeling that this is a person who wants to like do good in the world. Yeah. The best thing you can do to do good in the world is to start by getting the best LSAT score you possibly can. Yeah. That's like a, um, when the, when the cabin loses pressure and the, um, masks drop down from the, from the ceiling, um, you want to put the mask on yourself before you put the mask on someone else. You're a do-gooder. You want to pursue justice. Well, step one is to take care of your shit, which means get the best LSAT you can. Be the best you can. Once you do that, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be much better. You're going to be much better equipped to pursue justice with a 167 than you are with a 157. Like there are certain avenues, there are certain halls, Ben, of justice that are just not open to 157s that you will find miraculously opening to you with a 167. Yeah, that's true. And you also got to keep in mind that in your pursuit of your best LSAT score, you're not only getting a great number to put on your application, you're also getting smarter. So you're going to make law school easier for you. So this isn't like all just, oh, I got the number. That was a lot of effort for that number. Right. You're getting smarter. Jackson just talked about it at the beginning of the show. You you understand how logic relates to each other, you know, in better ways. And you just become a better law school student. Yeah. You're going to be better at reading. You're going to be better at logically thinking through the the issues better at synthesizing. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. Okay. Victor's personal statement. I'll read the email. You can read the, uh, the statement itself. It says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and I took the San Francisco class with Nathan. I was hoping you could shred my personal statement into pieces before it gets sent to T20 schools. I have tried to incorporate your podcast advice as much as possible. However, Most people have told me that it reads too much like a resume and not enough like a personal statement. I tried to balance this out with my conclusion, which you will probably hate. Either way, one more set of kind eyes is greatly appreciated. Okay. There's a little man with the kind eyes joke for you, Ben. Yeah. Um, That's Victor. I remember Victor from my class in San Francisco. Cool. Rest in peace. Um, no, I don't miss it at all. I, <laughs> I love teaching Elsa on Zoom. It's so much better. Um, all righty. Okay. Yeah. Brace yourself, Victor. Okay. In March of 2020, I changed the course of an assistant director attorney's case. District attorney, Ben. What's a director attorney? I have no idea. Why is this all <laughs> yellow, by the way? <laughs> Oh, it's because of the comment. Here, hold on. We can resolve this comment and then it will. Okay. Sorry, that's, a, that's just a Google Doc. I'm just doc. trying so you to deflect. To re- 
<laughs> ben, I think you could have got extra time on the LSAT. I think I probably could have. Yeah. Let's reread that, Ben, from the top. In March of 2020, I changed the course of an assistant district attorney's case. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah, either way, I, you know, I don't love this sentence because it's, it's kind of like it's bordering on like a conclusion and I'm pretty skeptical of it. I'm like, uh, okay, I'd rather, I'd rather hear a, a little closer to the facts of what happened as opposed to saying changed the course. That itself is a subjective Vague. determination and a conclusion. Yeah, it 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 is it is a conclusion. Now I'm I think that Victor. I think it might. I think it's probably also a fact. I haven't read the rest of this, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to give Victor the benefit of the doubt that this is a fact. Yeah. But it's a. It's a bold fact. It's a conclusion that we're going to have to. We have to see support for this, right? Yeah. We're, he's not just allowed to say that and then move on to something else. Yeah. He's going to have to provide justification for it. Well, if there's something in your statement that you have to provide justification for, then maybe you should just go with the justification instead of the, the conclusion that you have to justify. I think what people don't realize is that the justification, because it's factual, is stronger. It's not dis- something that people are going to debate or question in their minds. They're just going to say, oh, okay. And then they draw the conclusion from that. Exactly. What, what, what Victor is missing here is that he, he wants – he needs the reader – if he can Jedi mind trick the reader into reaching that conclusion on their own, the reader won't even realize it happened. The reader will just be like, oh, boy, good thing Victor was there because, boy, he, he changed the course of this case. Like he won the case. Mm-hmm. But if you say that, then the skeptical reader is just like, yeah, yeah, sure you did. Yeah. And it comes off as, oh, well, this is just another young paralegal. Naive. They think they had Who the- thinks they're a lawyer. Yeah. Okay. That said, a couple good things about this first sentence. It's short. Sure. Mm-hmm. The subject is I. Mm-hmm. He's trying to use active language, right? I mm-hmm. changed. Okay. That's I did a thing. So I think he's got the right idea here. It's just that he needs to get into the facts instead of the conclusion. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I was sifting through the evidence for a grand theft auto and kidnapping case a week before the preliminary hearing date. As I peered at the mountain of unopened binders of evidence, I realized that we would not be prepared to testify at our current rate. I immediately called the attorney who would try the case and offered to work overtime. I spent the next week analyzing police reports, reading the officer's chronological log, and watching 24 hours of dash cam footage from the stolen vehicle. As the only Russian speaker in the office, I translated the conversations between the confidential victim, CV, and the defendant, highlighting abnormalities. The further I progressed, the more the initial story of the CV began to unravel. 
Well, I like that a lot of these sentences are factual. I like that it shows Victor seeing a problem and taking the lead on the solution. Like, hey, look, we need to slow down. I'll try to help as much as I can. Um, it's Let me ask you this. This is just a real. This, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. What is Victor wearing? What is Victor wearing? Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't picture what Victor is wearing. Okay. Now can you? I'm imagining... Actually, I'm imagining Victor's dressed up in the office. Exactly. That, yeah. My point is... My point is, I think Victor's wearing a tie. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. It 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 makes me picture Victor as a lawyer. It's just, it, it. he's in the office. <clears throat> he's in a law office doing law yeah. shit. Yeah. And that's the thing I think I like the, about it the best is that yeah. it's just, it's it, it like, it makes me immediately assume like, oh yeah, no, this dude is inevitably going to be a lawyer. Sorry, I don't want to get too caught up on the, the clothes thing. I was just using that as like a, that's the picture well, no. you want to paint, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and Victor is laying out all the steps that he's doing, which is great. And they're not crazy. It's not like he, <laughs> one of my initial fears was he was going to be too much of like a lawyer. Like, oh, I found this problem in the reasoning. It's much more practical and down to earth. Hey, we don't have time to get through all this evidence. Let me try to help you get through it. Yeah, and I'm starting to believe Victor's bold claim that he made at the top. Although I still wouldn't make it. No, but yes, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't need to make the claim because if you just say what happened, without the conclusion, I changed the course of the case. Hey, you're going through this. You're a week before the preliminary hearing. You're realizing that you're not going to make it on time. You're doing extra shit, working overtime to get it done. And that makes you look like a hard ass working lawyer. Yeah. And that's what happens when you work your ass off. You do change the course of cases. So I, I, I could get to that conclusion on, on my own, which is great. All this supporting stuff is great. I would. Pr- so in general, I have a presumption against defining terms and using acronyms and things <laughs> right. like CV and although I, I realize this is a special term in your field, Victor, and some readers will be familiar with it as well, most won't be. And I don't think it's necessary. The question is always, is it helpful? And here you can just replace that with the victim. Just leave it as the victim. If you want to say confidential victim the first time, that's fine. And then from that then on, just call the person the victim. I, I don't see a need to continually emphasize that this is the confidential victim, the CV. So I would drop it. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Anything else about the first paragraph? Uh, overall, I'd say it's pretty good. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's well-written. The sentences yeah. are short, declarative. I like that he threw in that he was the only Russian speaker in the office. It's just, hey, that's a feather in your cap, man. That's a, that's a nice thing to call out. I'm sure it's on your resume as well, but 
that one's worth throwing in there, I think. If I were editing this, I would, you know, we keep digging into the details. I would cut the whole March 2020 thing. I think it's an unnecessary detail. And by when you add dates, it's like you're suggesting that that's important. If you really want to give tech time context, just say earlier this year or, you know, in the spring of 2020. I don't know. Even that, I just don't see the value of it right now, at least. Yeah, I think you're right. Two days before the preliminary hearing. Victor continues, I found a piece of evidence that altered the course of the entire Mm. case. You already changed the course of the case in the first sentence of your first paragraph. Now you're changing the course of the case in the first sentence of your second paragraph. And again, it's just a conclusion. Yeah. One conclusion is bad enough. Twice, hearing the same conclusion, it's like you're you're beating the person over the head with it. You're like, all right, I got it enough already. You're going to push them away even faster. That sentence would you just cut that sentence. Yep. Also, it raises like, it raises questions. Two days before the preliminary hearing. Why didn't you catch this earlier? Also, is that your whole point is that you found one piece of evidence? Yeah. So it's what? Kind of your that, job. Well, it's also kind of like, oh, so you got lucky? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, just, I would... I mean, it's okay to tell this story. Use this anecdote by all means, but that conclusion is, see, that's the point though, right, Ben? Because yeah. he made that conclusion, we, we're dicks, so we start attacking. Yep. We're professionally trained to do this. The LSAT especially trains us to do this. Yeah. And so, <laughs> Victor, you got to be real careful making conclusions when lawyers are around. So you could just cut that and just say the facts, just say what happened. Next sentence. After watching the entirety of the dash cam footage, I highlighted a statement the CV made to the defendant that would eventually lead to the felony kidnapping charge being dropped. After noting this newfound evidence in my brief, I composed a list of witnesses that could testify to the CV's demeanor. Given my discovery, I rewrote the case introduction that would brief the judge presiding over the case to reflect the initial narrative's irregularities. I feel like... I don't know... I can't, I'm having trouble pinpointing what it is about this, but I feel like these little phrases, like given my discovery and all this stuff, it's like Victor's trying too hard. Like if you did all this, Victor, there's enough meat here to make yourself look like a badass. You don't need to like try to keep emphasizing that it was due to your. Yeah. How about my brief that stuck out to me? Yeah. After noting brief. this newfound evidence in my brief, you you wrote it Just alone. You're <laughs> briefing the court. Mm, I think you definitely need to say our there. Yeah. Um. We get it. We get it that you wrote it, and we get it that it might, in fact, be your brief. But <laughs> legally speaking, it's not your brief. Legally speaking, it's the assistant DA's brief. And, and significantly so. I mean, even if you wrote it all and the DA signed off on it, they signed off on it after reading it. The DA is the one that can lose their 
their license because of this brief, not you. So it's the DA's brief. It became the DA's brief <laughs> the second you handed it to the DA. And the DA said it looks good. And the DA signed and, it, like actually wrote their name on it and gave it to the judge. And I'd be clerk. surprised if you didn't get feedback from the DA and made changes. Yeah. So, okay. So, it, and don't get us wrong. I, right now, this is like <laughs> one of the best, I think this is one of the best personal statements we've read on the show. Yeah. Because it's factual. It has a lot of, there's a lot of meat there. There's a lot to work with here. But Victor's doing that thing of going, just putting 5% too much salt, you know, like yep. just, it's, yeah. it, and then it, yeah. it ruins the whole thing because you're trying to, you, Victor's trying to take too much credit for stuff instead of just, I, I want to go back to that tip, the pearls versus turd that we had earlier applies here perfectly, which is just, you don't need to say it's balmy, say it's 75 degrees. Don't say it's balmy. Yep. Next paragraph. Afterward, I edited the lead investigator summary and drafted possible cross-examination questions that opposing counsel could ask our witnesses. On the day of the preliminary hearing itself, I helped coordinate the witnesses to ensure that questioning went as smoothly as possible. During the hearing, I suggested additional redirect examination questions to the assistant district attorney, these helped address potential issues that opposing counsel might raise concerning our case. I also prepared certified mugshots at the court's offices to be displayed as exhibits during the hearing. I actually love all this. Yeah, we're not stopping because most of these sentences are I sentences and they're telling us what you're doing. And there's not any conclusions in this part. This is just, here's what I did. Again, I am picturing Victor not only in a tie, but Victor is wearing a suit now because he's at the case. I mean, he's at the courthouse. He's, he's allowing me to assume that he is inevitably going to become a real actual lawyer. He just, yeah. he just looks like a lawyer. You're doing lawyer shit. You're rubbing elbows with lawyers. And it's, you know... I don't think this is rehashing the resume at all. In his email, he said that people have given him the feedback that it's too too much like a resume. This isn't like a resume. No, this is digging into a particular case at a job. You would never do that on a resume. You'd only talk about <laughs> you'd give your title, level. how long yeah. you were there, and like maybe a couple bullet points. Yep. And the, and we when we read, this is why resumes suck. Resumes are fucking worthless. I, I hate resumes. I hate. I don't. I don't ever show me a resume. I don't want to. I don't care. Yeah. But th this is like bringing to life, oh, you're a legal assistant number two at the assistant district attorney's office. Okay. This is what you did there. So now I know what you did there. I, it's perfect. I love it. I'd give it an A. Uh, to get an A plus, Victor, here's some simple edits. On the day of the preliminary hearing itself, just drop the word itself. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, you wanted to coordinate the witnesses to ensure that questioning went as smoothly as possible. You don't need, it's almost like adding very. You don't need the word very and you don't need as smoothly as possible. Just to say to ensure that questioning went well or smoothly. Or, or 
how about I helped coordinate the witnesses, period. Sure. You could I mean, just drop it all. Like, Why we get else it, would you be doing that, it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's I, just like a little bit of like overselling. That seems to be Victor's right. like trap. He's an overseller. No, we, this, is, this is one of those personal statements where if we, if we only were allowed to cut words, like you're literally not allowed to even rewrite anything, you can only cut. Yeah. You could help this a lot because you could just, you just trim out. Yep. Trim out, trim the out some of the fat here. Trim out some of the adjectives, adverbs. You'd be good. Yep. Okay. Next paragraph. After this first March hearing, having gained the trust of my supervisors, I don't like that. My responsibilities expanded in the case. You yeah, can just drop cut that. out. Well, after the first March, after this first March hearing, I don't think, again, yeah, I think adding in who gives a shit what month it was. Yep. After the first hearing, my responsibilities expanded, period. That's fine. I, I would actually, I would just cut it though. I think that's, a, again, a conclusion. You could just jump right into the, the additional responsibilities you had and that would be obvious. I don't know. Can I point out says. one yeah. more edit? I noticed this in the previous paragraph. Yeah. These, these questions, um, these helped address potential issues the opposing counsel might raise concerning our case. Mm, yeah. We knew, we knew that <laughs> it was going to be related to your case, dude. We, yeah, you can just what, cut it. So cut out concerning our case. First sentence of this fourth paragraph, my responsibilities expanded in the case Mm-hmm. If you are going to keep that, which Ben just wants to cut the whole sentence, but if you're going to keep it, you definitely can cut in the case. Yeah. We, we get it that you're working on a case. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> he does it again in the next sentence. Watch. I participated in the plea negotiations and ensured that the public defender received all necessary discovery in the case. <laughs> <laughs> definitely cut in the case there. Okay. Uh, since the trial's plea resolution, I have participated in four additional felony cases. Um, another thing here, Victor, you like the word additional. Additional is a long word that never needs to exist in any writing ever because there's the shorter more, which is just shorter and better. Okay. So, in these cases, I continued to learn new skills by designing materials used by the assistant district attorney during trial. You don't need in these cases there. He's, <laughs> he keeps saying it like a thousand times. Now I'm noticing every time he does it. But we, you just could have said, I continued to learn new skills by whatever. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this statement could be – it's like so close to being awesome. It just needs some work, just a little yep. bit of work. Totally. Uh, okay. Anyways, in these cases, I continued to learn new skills by designing materials used by the assistant district attorney during trial to create the people's exhibits. I have coordinated with the local police departments to schedule visits to the crime scenes and take photographs to be used in trial. Weird shift in tenses there. Everything was totally past tense. Yeah. And then I, it became this. Yeah. I don't know anything about like formal grammar. I, I, yeah. 
I don't know the names for these things. Yeah. But he changed from instead of I coordinated with local police departments, I have coordinated. Yeah. With I, local I police like, departments. Yeah, I don't know what it's called either, but it's it's a weird shift. Just cut the have there for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Alongside the photographs, I created. Now he's going back to the right. Traditional, <laughs> for lack of a better term, <laughs> past tense. Yeah. Alongside the photographs, I created a timeline that would help a jury better visualize the incident that occurred. You could just say the incident. All right. I have analyzed more than 80 hours of police body-worn camera footage and condensed thousands of pages of Child Protective Services reports. Again, with the I have analyzed instead of just I analyzed. Yeah. I also find it very clunky to say police body-worn camera footage. We could just say body camera. Body camera footage. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't need body-worn camera with all the dashes and shit. Police body camera footage. We get it. People know what that, what that is. Yeah. I then synthesized the evidence to corresponding case narratives. It's getting mm. a little wordy. It's a short sentence. It's just, what does it right, mean? What are the words? The words are like, what I mean by wordy is like, well, synthesized the evidence. To it's a fancy word. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a, it's a correct use of synthesized. Synthesized the evidence to corresponding case narratives? Do you synthesize something to another thing? You tie it, maybe? You tie the evidence to the narrative of the case? That would be much better because yeah. tied to is a common usage where synthesized to just doesn't sound right. From, it's yeah, you'd say like bit. synthesized from. <laughs> exactly. So our, yeah. Or just I synthesize, synthesized is like put things together. But even then I don't like it because I'm like kind of at a loss as to what you're actually doing with that evidence. I mean, I think you would synthesize together. the evidence with corresponding case narratives. That might make more sense. But two seems to be the wrong preposition there. And I think the real problem is, I think Victor stretching to use a fancy word synthesized. Hmm. And instead I like your tied, but okay. It's, it's more concrete too. I think you tied the evidence. Oh, I can see you finding the evidence and you're putting it in with the case. Tied the evidence to the narratives. Yep. Got now it. it. Makes sense. Right. Then you say the Victor continues furthermore. I have flushed out witness interviews. Have? Uh, Why is he doing I have. this? I don't know. He's going back and forth. Yeah. Also, flushed out is oddly like informal. <laughs> um, well, it's it's incorrect. Yeah, I what does think, it mean? I think he means flushed, flushed out. out. Flushed out? Yeah. Is what he means. Flushed out. Flushed out. <laughs> Is like if you're hunting and you need and to you, get the yeah, partridges the to come out of, out of the bushes so you could blast them. That's flushing. Is that even you flushed? Is that? Yeah, that's flushed out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty sure. Fleshed out would be to what he means, which is to add bulk to the thing. That's to, to, to complete something or to, to finish it, to fill it out, to expand it would be fleshed out, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a question about this. It says, should you flush out or flesh out your plan? 
To provide more details, you should flush out or flush out your plan. Flush out. Yeah. Flush out. Yeah. Not flush. To okay. flush out something is to cause it to leave a hiding place. For example, just That's as you said, said, the birds were flushed out of the tree. It could also be used figuratively as in flush out the truth. But fleshing out is to give something substance, to make it fuller or more nearly complete. Okay. So you fleshed out witness interviews by crafting questions that, yeah, that's what you were trying to do. You're trying to flesh out the details by crafting questions that helped the witnesses expand their testimony. By the way, furthermore is just like additional. It's a big, clunky, heavy word you don't need. You could just say, I also fleshed out. Or just not out. even. Why or do you even I need fleshed that? out. Yeah. I fleshed out witness interviews by crafting questions that help. That's already too clunky. Victor spent more time editing the top of this statement than he did the bottom of the statement. <laughs> you, you can tell the writing got worse. Halfway through the statement, Victor's writing went to shit because he didn't spend enough time editing the, the last couple paragraphs here. Yeah. Um, it's very clunky. I fle fleshed out witness interviews by crafting questions. Just put I crafted questions. Yeah. Okay. Finally, using information that was acquired midway through cases, I wrote addendums to the court to add charges to existing cases. Using information that was acquired midway through cases. This is super wordy. You know what everybody's complaining about? They're going, hey, Victor, your thing sounds like a resume. It's because this paragraph right here, the second to last paragraph, sounds like a freaking resume. It's too... It's... I feel like I'm like, it, it's not a narrative to me. I like I sentences that flow together. These just seem like, here's a bullet point. Here's another bullet point. Here's another bullet point. Here's another bullet point. Um, I don't see how they fit into the story because they actually have to do with all of the cases as opposed to one case. This is like going too high level and trying to be detailed totally. at the same time. Yep, he should have stuck with one anecdote. Or if he was finished with the first anecdote, he could have transitioned into a second anecdote to demonstrate other stuff. Yeah. Instead, he was like, oh, let me just go 40,000 feet and give you the full thing of my entire job. And we don't, we don't, we're not interested in that. We want yep. a story. Um, I just did a quick control F there for, for the word case. It's yeah. 19 times he uses the word case. He's using it multiple times in the same sentence, which I don't think he would do if he had read this out loud. I mean, just listen to it. Finally, using information that was acquired midway through cases, I wrote addendums to the court to add charges to existing cases. Yeah. What? Cases right before the comma and then cases at the end of the sentence? It just sounds terrible. You read it out loud. You would never put that in a speech. So it you don't doesn't need to be in your personal statement. Also, I would replace if we even need to say this, but if you're going to say this, information that is that was acquired midway through cases, I would just say using new evidence. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's exactly. very wordy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could say when information was acquired, you know, or like you could start with I wrote addendums to the court to incorporate new information or something like that. But he lost us, didn't he? He, he did. We, he had us in the first few paragraphs. It was great. 
And then he just lost us with the, it's poor writing. All this is his longest paragraph and it's his worst paragraph. That's almost always the case, by the way, your longest paragraph is probably your worst. Your longest sentence is probably your worst. And so it's like he, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He really, he, he ran out of time or something, but he, he didn't edit it. Yeah. Stepping back, I think he, his fatal mistake was he was talking about individual, an individual case. And then he started this paragraph with in these cases. So he backed up and he's like, okay, let me talk about all the cases I've worked on, which then just kind of devolves into resume bullet points. Each one of these particular case, we don't, yeah, we don't want to know about four additional felony cases. Just tell us about one of them. We get it that you did more than this. Also, you have the skills. Yeah. You can kind of take artistic license, by the way. You can fictionalize it. If you did the, if you did one thing in one case and then one thing in another case and then one thing in another case. Sure. For purposes of your personal statement, that can all be one case. It, it, it's fine. You can, you can kind of... <sighs> We're not going to like, we're not going to go investigate to make sure that you actually did each of these things in, you know, in, in the one case, you can just say, just, this is what I do. I did this. I did that. If you you really want to include those things, I don't know if it's even necessary. I think Victor feels this need to be like, look at all this stuff I did. And it, uh, it's like, I'm not feeling more impressed by you just knowing, oh, you, you also reviewed footage and then you also did this with like, let's just talk. Three, two or three of these things are impressive on their own. Let's just end it there. Writing yeah, questions for witnesses is a challenging task. Preparing for opposing counsel and cross-examination is a challenging task. You can show us you did that well. I'm happy. I'm sold. I agree. Yeah, pick some of these things. We don't, we don't need, it's not, you don't need to give us an exhaustive list of all the things you've ever done. You, you're supposed to be telling us about some interesting things. So yeah, cut it. Last paragraph. As my work throughout my five cases at the district attorney's office deepened. Why are we counting? It's weird. It's almost like if you had talked about two cases anecdotally, I would have assumed you did like 10. But now you're telling me, oh, me you did five. <laughs> I would have assumed dozens. I, yeah. I would assume that you're an established part of the team, critical to the team, and instead, now I'm thinking, oh, so you were like an intern and they let you help out on five cases? Hmm. Think about that. That's, that's important. Yeah, then you right? go back like to you, the March 2020 thing. You're like, wait, it's September 2020? How long oh, did so you work Oh, so you just day? started in March and you helped out on five cases? Because I had you in a suit. Now I'm thinking, yeah, you're wearing a suit, but you just Your bought it loose. at Marshall's <laughs> and <laughs> you only bought it for this job, this internship that you're probably not even getting paid for. Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't look, it, it, that's real weird how adding that fact can immediately make us spin off into this weird direction where it, it just undercuts the whole mission here. Mm-hmm. As my work throughout, my five cases at the district attorney's office deepened. Deepened? Your work deepened? <laughs> I real. Oh, no. Oh, no, no Victor. You're realizing I, something? <laughs> he knew that we were going to hate it. He put it in the email. He put, you're going to hate the conclusion. 
and I totally hate this. I realized a fundamental truth about the practice of law <laughs> oh my gosh. that indelibly changed how I viewed the profession. <sighs> Victor, are you fucking kidding me? Do you think they give one shit what you think about the practice of law? They know you're foolish enough to join it. <laughs> well, you know what happened here is Victor didn't have this conclusion paragraph. He wrote this high level in the four cases paragraph. Everybody shat on that, which they really should have. His solution should have been to take it out. But his solution was to try to come back with like, let me talk about what I think. And this doesn't solve the problem. This is the this is horrible, man, because th- this is a it's a conclusion. It's meaningless. <laughs> w- what fundamental truth? Victor, you're not qualified in our <laughs> estimation. Okay, we're, we're trying to decide whether we want to admit you to our law school. You are not a lawyer. By the way, law students also aren't qualified to realize any fundamental truths about the practice of law. Law, law students don't practice law. Yeah. I mean, maybe they do at a clinic or something, but they... <laughs> You, they have no interest whatsoever in your vision of the law. And it's, it's, it's so funny. Indelibly changed how I viewed <laughs> the profession. I didn't give a shit, Victor, what you thought about the profession before or during or after this epiphany you had. Yeah. It, it, you didn't know shit before and you don't know shit now either. It's <laughs> you instantly change the way like we were we were fully willing to picture you as this badass who like has all this practical time in the trenches. The second you start telling us your opinions about it, we rhapsodizing you. Now you look like a college kid. Yep. Also, take a look at this next sentence in the last paragraph throughout my inter- internship. Brutal. Oh, oh, OK. So it is an internship after yep. all. Also, you just said throughout. As my work throughout my five cases at the district attorney's office deepened, whoa, you're this like, you've been in the trenches. Now we know it's an internship. Like this, this is going all over the place. You need to cut, cut, cut. The whole second half of the statement needs to go. Yeah. And he either needs to expand on the first anecdote, more like what you had in the first few paragraphs. The first few paragraphs were great. Yeah. More like that. You can expand on the one anecdote or... You can give me another anecdote. Mm-hmm. Do not say the word internship. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were like getting paid. I thought, I mean, it could be a paid internship, by the way. Don't say the word internship. It makes it now. Now you're a college kid. Now it's, oh, he spent a semester at the DA's office and he thinks he knows everything. And he's got an indelibly changed view of this. Indelig- Whoa. Okay. Anyways, he continues. I discovered each case's complex puzzle, and the you discovered each case's complex puzzle. The fuck are oh. you even talking about? Oh man! You, and the import- I dis- <laughs> What does that mean? I discovered each case's complex puzzle. It's not just a puzzle, Ben. It's a complex puzzle. And what did Victor do? Wait, did he solve the puzzle? No. He discovered it. He discovered the puzzle. Like, hey, guys, look. There's a puzzle here. 
it's I a have puzzle. Yet to resolve it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He continues. He discovered each case's complex puzzle and the importance of small details and precise language. Oh, I'm so glad you're coming around to that. I found fascinating. I found fascinating. Don't care. I don't care what you think or feel. I don't give a shit. I care what you did. How a single word in a clause could substantially impact a grand scale case. A what? A grand scale case. I don't know what that means. What now? <laughs> a grand are, are scale you... <laughs> case. Victor. Case. <laughs> Victor, are you really telling law schools about the importance of words in <laughs> legal matters? <laughs> like... Do you think the person reading this is going to be like, I never thought about that. Wow. You mean legal cases can turn on precise use of words? Holy shit. You know, like. (laughs) He continues, one word would change a felony to a misdemeanor. No fucking shit. (laughs) The battle of intricacies that take place at the seemingly minor details eventually decides a case. No shit. No shit. (laughs) Battle of intricacies. (laughs) What? Third, the battle of intricacies that take place at the seemingly minor details. Well, you meant in the in the minor details. What happened here? I don't know. This went but, from one of the best personal statements we've read on the show to one of the worst. Yeah. It, it, it reminds just, <laughs> Go ahead. It reminds me of, you know that old adage, when you make the sale, you shut up. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I like that. Like this is where you're like, oh, yeah, sweet, Victor. We want you on our team, and we want you number one. And then it's like, dear God, stop talking. You have just revealed your naivete. Totally. Everything has just unraveled. He, this has a lot of potential. Victor has a lot of potential. I mean, he, I'm sure he's going to be a great applicant, but he needs to blow up the second half of this personal statement and just do more of what he was doing in the first half. Yeah. In golf, Ben... There's an old adage. <laughs> this is I'm going to be stretching this like <laughs> brutally stretching it. But in golf, there's an adage <laughs> that like that, that we we say uh, whipped cream on shit. Okay. Okay. And what mm-hmm. whipped what whipped cream on shit is is when <laughs> you hit your first shot into the lake, mm. and then you hit your second shot into the lake, mm. and then you your third shot you like knock it in the hole. For yeah, a yeah. triple bogey or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll say whipped cream on shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. Victor did the reverse of that. Yeah. Victor put shit on shit whipped cream. On whipped cream. <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> Everyone's about to dive in and then we're like, whoa. <laughs> Victor's like, let me just add this one last dollop of shit on top of this. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Okay. We love you, Victor. He, he knows. He knows we love him. But yeah, he, well, we're he saving really him the, the <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. The constant conflict of technicalities and the enjoyment what? that I derived from them. Don't wait, care. Wait. You derived enjoyment from the constant conflict of technicalities? Okay, I guess I can right. see that. We, yeah, we don't believe you and we don't care. It's amazing. <laughs> Reaffirmed my conviction. Oh, don't dear. give a shit. You <laughs> don't have con- – Victor, you're not entitled to have convictions. <laughs> you're not entitled. You're not. You're no. not. You will change your mind about literally everything when you go to law school and start practicing law. You don't have convictions, Victor. You, fer- you certainly don't have convictions that have been reaffirmed. Yeah. Your conviction <laughs> that a career in law is the best course for me. We'll be the judge of that, not you. That you're <laughs> we know you want to be a lawyer. You've worked in a law firm. You're now applying to law school. The statement you think really you've wow, your conviction has been reaffirmed that law is the right course for you. you you're also like missing <laughs> the point of this, right? It's like talking to someone and trying to convince them to go on a date with you. You're like, I have decided that you're the best date for me. Oh, okay. Well, we're trying to figure out whether you're the best date for me. <laughs> yeah. And we don't really care if I'm great for you. Yeah, sex is a thing that I like to have. We should have. I I'm firmly convinced. I firmly believe. My conviction. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you're buying me dinner. I was expecting that. That's probably where this was going to go. I, I don't know that you need to be so explicit about the ultimate plans here. Um, we all know what's. <laughs> oh boy, Victor. Thank yeah, you for writing that. in. Yeah, you got yeah, a lot. Thank of, you, Victor. Yeah, you got you got the chops to do this right. You got to cut some of your wording out as we explained in the beginning, and then do exactly what Nathan said, and just end it. End it with one sentence. For re- I, I want to continue this kind of work as an attorney or something like that. If you want to, exactly. If you even, you're, you don't need to. You don't need to. Tell us about your work in the law office and we will picture you as, oh, this dude's been working in the DA's office and now he's applying to my law school. I wonder why he's applying to law school. That's bizarre. Wait, (laughs) do you think that Victor might want to become a lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got that part. (laughs) When you paid money to apply to the law school, we got – we understand that you are looking to be a lawyer. So, okay, the entire last paragraph – blows. I mean, just get rid of that entirely. You don't, we don't, please don't tell us about your fundamental truths of law any epiphany. Don't know. What did you do? And there's going to be tons, right? Cause I mean, I'm sure that he did a lot. He did tons of shit on that first case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More like that. Yep. Talk about another case if you want, but keep it like that. And spare us the the conclusions are having the exact opposite of what of the intended effect. It's it is precisely wrong. Shit on whipped cream. Thank you. That was awesome. Um, 
We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. You can follow Nathan at NFox on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at Thinking LSAT. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps promote the show, which we have yet to do <laughs> in any other way. And email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. We love your questions, most of them, and um, want to answer them. That was episode 265 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>